Welcome to the Psychedelic Passage Podcast. My name is Jimmy Wynn. I will be your host today. Really excited to have you all back here. Our episode today will be focused on what's going on in Colorado in relation to psychedelics. If you all have been listening to our podcast episodes thus far, you'll know that back in May of this year, 2023, there was quite a significant amount of attention on Colorado as they passed a few laws and regulations related to uh, psychedelic use. And so as we're nearing the end of the year, we thought it might be helpful to give our audience an update on progress made so far and things that you should be on the lookout if you are a secular curious individual or somebody just interested in following along with the psychedelic kind of regulatory landscape or, you know, the process of helping to make these uh, medicines and services more accessible to the public. For some who might know, Oregon was the first uh, state to adopt a regulated model And it's pretty interesting, um, if you look back in our episodes, we had a breakdown of the difference between Oregon and Colorado, but now that Colorado is in its progression of rulemaking and, you know, establishing policy and procedure, I'd love to break this down for our audience and talk through what the future will look like, timelines, as well as what this means for you today if you are a psychedelic curious person who happens to be in Colorado. And so the first thing I want to mention is that Colorado is a little bit different than Oregon because it establishes essentially two different frameworks on which you could share or think about it as, as like a regulatory side and then also a personal use side. And when I think about personal use, I also think about like a community model or a decriminalization model, which we'll go into a little bit. But I'll take some time to just first think about and talk through uh, the regulated model here in Colorado. So what does that mean? The regulated model is, is an attempt to establish the rules and frameworks for licensed facilities, licensed service providers to be able to offer services directly related to psychedelics. So this might be psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, psychedelic-assisted uh, support services, and essentially is is building the regulated framework for a state-run industry here in Colorado. The regulatory side is focused on psilocybin and psilocin to start. So psilocin being the active chemical compound of which psilocybin converts into when we consume and ingest uh, psilocybin-containing mushrooms. And later down the road, They may introduce some regulations for other psychedelic substances, primarily DMT, ibogaine, and non-peyote-derived mescaline. So that's an important note, which we'll chat down later. So some of those other uh, substances may be introduced into the laws 2025, 2026. I think the, the state is using psilocybin and psilocin as kind of a a sandbox to to test, you know, how things might work in a regulated market before they start to introduce, you know, other substances, other psychedelic compounds. 
So back in May, there was a a body of regulations that were approved, which was SB 23290. This is basically the working form of Proposition 122, which was voted into law back in November of 2022. And so that was known as Prop 122. Now that's the Natural Medicine Health Act. And then that is just the legal framework in which all of this is developing now. As a part of that, the governor has assigned an advisory board, which basically will help to steer all of this rulemaking and policymaking. So that advisory board works with the Department of Revenue, the Department of Public Health and Environment, and other stakeholders. And so that advisory board was established back in the summer, and they are in the process of meeting over the course of you know the rest of this year and early of 2024. And a lot of and there's a lot of different subcommittees. So a couple of examples. So there's a subcommittee on the products research and data side. There's a subcommittee on harm reduction and public safety. Um, a subcommittee on qualifications, licensing, and training, a subcommittee on indigenous and religious use and outreach, another one being emergency response, safety, and ethics. So you can see they got their hands full. They got a lot of work to do to meet with all of the different you know, stakeholders, get input you know, from the community. And then what they're going to do is they're then going to suggest policies and rules of which the rulemaking part happens basically the first half of 2024. As a part of this, what they're trying to do is establish the frameworks for a psychedelic-related healing center and also facilitator licenses. And so the Division of uh, Professions and Occupations here in Colorado have made a pledge that that licensing and application process for those healing centers and facilitator licenses will be public by December 31st, 2024. So what this means for folks who are following along with Colorado is that, yes, these laws are, you know, SB 23290 has been approved, but they're still in this rulemaking process and there has yet to be a live regulated model. So, you know, for folks who are maybe looking for insurance coverage with psychedelics, that doesn't quite exist yet. There's no single licensed healing center or facilitator license that has been issued by the state yet. So that's definitely one thing to look out for, especially for folks who are seeking services, you know, related to psychedelics here in Colorado. You know, it's one thing for the laws to be voted upon and, and another thing for those laws to be enacted. So a lot of the policy that we're going to see and how this is all implemented it's really, really going to depend on how things go, you know, next year. You know, they have yet to establish what the qualifications are for licensing, what that training looks like, what is required to open up, you know, a healing center, what's required to have different tiers of facilitator licenses. And so they're all working through that process now. As with any new law or regulated initiative, there's certainly pros and cons of this. So some of the pros that I see that are beneficial is that the rulemakers are trying really, really hard to establish the frameworks in the immediate future. I think that there's a recognition that there's a big demand for psychedelic-related services now. And as a part of that, you have to build infrastructure, right? Like 
how do cultivation facilities operate? Are there provisions for the testing of, you know, psychedelic substances and medicines? How are these medicines administered? And so there's a lot of these big questions that are raised on how this actually all comes together. And, you know, I really do applaud the Natural Medicine Health Act and also the advisory board and the subcommittees for working really hard to establish something that's brand new. You know, you, you got you to figure it out as you go. If Nick and I have learned anything about, you know, our work here at Psychedelic Passage is that there's a lot that you do have to iterate and figure out, you know, in real time based on the needs of the community, based on the folks that you're trying to directly serve. And it's not perfect. By no means do I feel like this regulatory model is all-encompassing. But I do just recognize that that is a big, big, big task, a big, big, big heavy lift. And, um, you know, what I'm seeing is that there are folks on this advisory board from all different types of backgrounds. There's mental health professionals, there's doctors, there's uh, religious use advocates, there are, you know, first responders and, and harm reduction, you know, advocates. And so I am at least glad that there are voices from a lot of different perspectives and opinions that are, you know, adding to this. And just like any other new initiative, there's a lot of criticisms of the Colorado model as well, particularly around the regulated model. One, you know, is that the regulated model is moving too fast without doing, you know, community research and community outreach to try to see, you know, what's needed in these models. I think that one of the biggest, biggest criticisms is that there's not an inclusive enough approach of indigenous voices and opinions. I know that there's a lot of constituents on the uh, religious use, indigenous lineage side that are, you know, really upset that they weren't consulted and that they weren't reached out to in a collaborative, you know, way. I really hear that. And certainly, you know, in a very, very short podcast episode, we can't really get into all of that. But I'll just cite that a lot of this is revolving around um, peyote and the religious use of that. And it's the fear that, you know, peyote being a traditional psychedelic substance that is used in a religious context, in a spiritual context, in a traditional context by many you know, indigenous folks here in Colorado and in North America, that this will create some pathways that leave those folks out of the picture that may not give them, you know, a seat at the table when we're discussing how to make these medicines more available to the wider, you know, population. And I think as a sub-segment of that, you know, there's a lot of conversation about how is this regulatory model going to work in conjunction with the community or personal use side? And that there actually might not be enough safeguards, you know, on the community side. And so, again, that's one of the interesting parts of this Colorado structure is that they have this dual model system, as I mentioned, the regulatory model, which is really clear on licensed facilities, licensed, you know, individuals who will conduct this work, then that raises questions on, okay, who's qualified to do this work, what those qualifications look like, et cetera, et cetera. And then how does that actually interact with the personal use or what I would deem the community or the decriminalization side? So let's chat about that a little bit. 
at the same time that the Natural Medicine Health Act had given the provisions to establish this regulated model, they also um, had pushed through and voted in on this personal use decriminalization side. So at its base, what this does is that it creates a legal environment where the possession and use of natural medicines are decriminalized. This includes DMT, mescaline, ibogaine, psilocybin, and psilocin to start. So that's an important distinction that on the regulated model, really the focus on the regulated model is psilocybin and psilocin, but on the personal use side or the community decrim side, it does include the possession and use of these other substances. Another really, really interesting thing, which I appreciate with this new you know, le- legislation, is that it also allows for the gifting of natural medicines. So what that means is that it is possible for an individual in Colorado to be gifted certain natural medicines. However, what they say is that this gifting does not include synthetics or synthetic analogs. So if you had synthetic-derived DMT or synthetic-derived mescaline, or who knows where you would find synthetic-derived Ibogaine in Colorado, honestly, that is actually not allowed to be gifted. And so that's why this is primarily focused on psilocybin and psilocin right now. And what I see the state trying to do is realizing that, okay, Licensing doesn't even become available until December 31st, 2024. Then you're going to have a whole bunch of healing centers and facilitators opening up facilities, getting approved for those licenses, doing their training. So that process is going to take quite a long time. So really services on the regulated model aren't going to be available until 2025, uh, at least a year and a half, you know, from now, which this episode is being recorded at the end of 2023. But there's a lot of folks who are looking for psychedelic assistance services today. There's plenty of folks who are seeking, you know, the support of facilitators or service providers and just public information and harm reduction knowledge on how to engage with these medicines, you know, intentionally and safely. And so the other really interesting thing about this, you know, personal use side or this, what I would say is the precursor of a community model side, is that it actually does give an individual the ability to also pay for bona fide harm reduction services or support services in conjunction with the gifting of natural medicine, which as I mentioned right now is really focused on psilocybin containing mushrooms at this point. Couple provisions on this. The person being gifted is 21 years or older. The service provider hasn't given any public advertisement of the gifting of natural medicines. In some way, you got to prove that you're just paying for bona fide services and not for the natural medicine itself. And then finally, the service provider has to disclose to you that they're not a Colorado licensed facilitator, of which there are none right now (laughs) because the licensing process has yet to happen. So this creates a couple of interesting distinctions. You know, what I think the spirit of the law is trying to do when it's talking about, you know, non-advertisement is trying to not make, you know, the gifting of psilocybin like a promotion, right? So something like buy my free book or buy my book for $100 
And as a part of that, you're also just going to get gifted seven grams of psilocybin mushrooms. So that that's what they're trying to prevent. And also, you know, the interesting thing in both the regulated model and the personal use model is that right now there isn't really a provision for a consumer or commercial model of accessing psilocybin. So a little bit different than cannabis, where we see in the medical and recreational markets here in Colorado, there's dispensaries, there's delivery services. It allows for the purchase and consumption of cannabis. Much different here in the regulated model, because it's it, it's really not designed to create psilocybin mushroom dispensaries, for example. And the thought here is that when you're working with psychedelic medicines or substances, that there needs to be a ecosystem of support services as well, right? You're maybe trying to find a facilitator. You're maybe working with uh, somebody who can potentially down the road advise on dosage. Maybe you have a uh, mental health or medical condition that needs to be looked at. So maybe these healing centers will also work with nurse practitioners or uh, medical directors to do this screening and vetting process. There, There just requires a lot more, I think, care for folks who are wanting to engage in psychedelic services, whether that's microdosing or large dose ceremonies, uh, large dose experiences that are conducted by a facilitator or service provider. The one downside of this is that there really isn't a lot of provisions on the community side on how to conduct these services safely. Bonafide services are not that well defined. Like, what is the difference between a bonafide harm reduction or support service and one that is not legitimate or not bonafide? There still remains this question of who's qualified to conduct this type of service. One of the things that we chat about in our past episodes is that oftentimes when individuals engage in psychedelics intentionally and they have a really meaningful or significant impact of of an experience, there can be this effect where folks are, you know, wanting to shout it out at the rooftops and thinking like everybody needs to, you know, have this experience. And then all of a sudden I've had two mushroom trips And uh, now it's my calling to become a facilitator and a service provider. And I don't want to discredit folks who get that feeling. But I want to share that there is a really, really far leap from folks who get that, you know, calling versus folks who are actually qualified to do this work. And one of the things that we really try to protect here at Psychedelic Passage is that there is a space for folks of all different backgrounds of all different modalities and skills and approaches to this work. It's not just the mental health professional. It's not just the clinical model where we feel the intentional and meaningful use of psychedelics occur. You know, Nick and I come from a background of experiencing a lot of our own psychedelic benefit and healing through ceremony, through private use, through this community side. And so that's a thing that we really want to protect here at Psychedelic Passage. In the same stroke, it's important that individuals who are conducting this work hold themselves to a high level of ethical standard, have well-defined protocols and well-established practices that they 
have their own experience with the psychedelic medicine and the substance that they have experience in supporting others through these types of psychedelic altered states of consciousness. And so what this remains is that even though the personal use side creates this doorway for folks to be able to, you know, get gifted natural medicines, it creates a pathway for folks to, you know, join in in a religious ceremony or um, a harm reduction service or, you know, support services like integration. But it still doesn't solve this issue on, okay, how can a psychedelic curious person tell who the right service provider is? How do they know that this person is qualified? How do they know that this individual is the right fit for that psychedelic curious person's content or profile or intentions or or how they're wanting to engage. And so one of the downsides that I see with this is that there really isn't a community-driven model of, let's say, like checks and balances, right? I, I would venture to say that it'd be really hard for somebody who's not plugged into a psychedelic-oriented community who's not plugged into, let's say, um, a spiritual or personal growth community to be able to tell who is the right person for them. And so there's a lot of guesswork out there. I think if you were a person who was you know, living in Colorado or wanting to come to Colorado currently, you hear all the stuff about, okay, psychedelics are decriminalized. This is a place where I can go and I can maybe find some access. I've been waiting for a really long time. Clinical trials have not been been available. I have not been able to find anybody in our in my area. I want to come to Colorado and engage in some type of a service. They're still kind of stuck with a lack of actionable information, an inability to you know verify people's track records, an inability really to determine whether a facilitator is the right person for them beyond what the facilitator is telling you. And the interesting thing is that every facilitator who's offering the service will say, hey, I've been doing this work for a long time. Uh, I've supported people professionally through this. Uh, my favorite is when people are like, yep, I, I institute the best practices from clinical trials and studies. And I, I also have a background where I'm an ally in you know, indigenous lineage and, and history. And I would say that there's people out there who meet all of that criteria, but how do you verify that, you know? And so this is one of the things that we're really trying to solve here at Psychedelic Passage. I mean, when I think about the pathway that Nick and I have been on, our our initial goal was to try to help people today. We knew that there were folks who are seeking these services, lack of actionable info, lack of knowledge lack of pathways to actually access not only the medicine itself, but also a practitioner or facilitator. And the first thing that we did was we just listened to our community. We're like, what do people need today? And what we realized was these gaps, you know, that I'm speaking to. And so it's really interesting that in the rules and regulations that it opens the door for this personal use side, But there's not a lot of infrastructure, I would say, on the community or the decrim decrim side on how to conduct this and do this safely. You know, what happens if you work with a facilitator 
who lied about their credentials? Uh, what happens if you work with a facilitator who maybe initiated some abuse or harm to you? What happens if, let's say, the dose was inappropriate based on your background history, physiology, and whatnot? And so I would love to see down the road uh, more community-oriented initiatives and and support services. But we're just in a space where these policies were just enacted into law six, seven months ago. And so there aren't really places of advocacy that folks can go to. And so the best that we've done is we're like, okay, we're going to try to remove as much guesswork as possible. We're going to try to pre-vet, you know, our facilitators within our network, just against the criteria that, you know, we've developed, you know, over the years. And what I found is that a lot of the things that we hold our facilitator network up to, it's not perfect by any means. It's not, you know, all encompassing, but it certainly is a higher standard than what we're seeing in Oregon. And it'll be really, really interesting to see, you know, what Colorado cooks up as far as, you know, their initiative on the regulatory side. But then it also just creates this dynamic on like, if the policies are too stringent on the regulatory side, that might push people more towards this personal use community side, which which I'm a big supporter of. But in order for that to happen in a healthy way, there also needs to be an ecosystem within the community side also as safeguards, you know, for the public, you know. And then the other interesting part is that there can be this kind of tug of war that might be happening on the regulated side versus the community side. And to a degree, the personal use side has kind of been left to our own devices. You know, there's not a lot of harm reduction information out there. I think everybody and their grandma is a a trip sitter, you know, nowadays. So how do you filter that information to try to find somebody who can, you know, hold down your soul realistically as you engage with psychedelics? And, And most of the people that gravitate towards psychedelics or psychedelic passage are people who have never done psychedelics, or maybe they did psychedelics way back in let's say the sixties. And so they're circling back to psychedelics, you know, 50 years later. So, you know, that's really important for us to um, really establish and protect people's sovereignty. You know, it's really important for us here at psychedelic passage to, you know, express that, Engaging with your with your consciousness, especially through psychedelic medicines, we feel like is a fundamental human right. We also feel like it's a big right of yours to decide who and how you engage with these medicines. And, you know, the one word of caution is that though psychedelic work has been in human history for thousands and thousands of years, it's not really well defined here in how that works in the United States. And so there's a lot of room, I think, for errors to happen. There's a lot of room for mistakes to happen. And one thing that I really want to caution folks is that even though you can come to Colorado now and get gifted psilocybin, and even though you can actually get gifted psilocybin by you know somebody who is also conducting harm reduction services or support services, aka facilitating an experience or hiring a trip sitter or joining a retreat, or engaging with somebody for integration services, you still have to do your homework. 
You still have to do your research. You still have to ask the right questions and then decide for yourself based on your due diligence on whether this facilitator is the right person for you or not. And so it's this funny dynamic where I'm really, really grateful that the Natural Medicine Health Act has established these pathways of which community use is okay. The possession and consumption of psychedelics is generally low risk from, from a legal perspective. But the paradox is that it still creates a lot of dynamics in which it's really hard for a psychedelic curious person to navigate. And so I'm really proud to just know a lot of colleagues and folks in my network, in my community who are trying to solve exactly this. And I hope that the work that we're doing here at Psychedelic Passage positively affects that because I really do believe that that you can engage with psychedelics for a number of different reasons. Like who knows what the regulated model is going to do? What if there's a clinic that says, hey, you have to be diagnosed with a specific mental health condition in order for you to quote unquote qualify for psychedelic related services? Well, what does that do for folks who are maybe just personal growth seekers or spiritual seekers? And so, you know, I think that we're just at a really interesting precipice with Colorado being the the state where the entire country has its eyes and ears focused on, because what happens here in Colorado may actually establish the frameworks that other states might adopt, as we saw with cannabis, right? Colorado was really the pioneering you know, state, and then other states adopted their own cannabis laws and regulations based on what was learned in Colorado. So facilitators who are working on the community side, trip sitters, guides, practitioners, whatever you call it, working in this somewhat unregulated gray space within Colorado, there is a really, really high order of responsibility. I cannot understate that enough that if you're working on the community side, that you still have all of the factors in place in which would be supported on the regulated side. So proper screening, good client services and communication, the ability to follow up with folks and provide you know additional support. Let's say if somebody goes through a challenging experience or a difficult you know to navigate experience, having the right paperwork and contracts in place, knowing what to do in a number of different scenarios of which psychedelics are are engaged. You know, some of these experiences require deep support from the facilitator or the trip sitter. So, you know, there's a lot of considerations on the facilitator side, for sure. And the main thing that I really want to express to, you know, the psychedelic curious folks in our audience is really just do your homework and follow your gut, ask questions, ask the right questions. And we have a number of, you know, podcast episodes in our past, um, also a couple of ones coming up that directly address these things and really just trust in your gut, you know, and do your best to verify who these service providers are. I think that we're in a really, really interesting place. I think that we are in an exciting place of psychedelics becoming more accessible and available to the everyday, you know, American. Although I say that with a caveat, because we're a very, very diverse 
and unique set of, of Americans here. I also think with that exciting space and time just comes a huge, huge, huge responsibility. And, you know, I hope that the community initiatives that we are trying to engage in, I hope that the models that we are trying to foster and support uh, can just be a part of this fabric of safe, intentional, and mindful psychedelic use. And so, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be able to encapsulate everything, all of the nuances and pros and cons of the Natural Medicine Health Act, of what's going on here in Colorado. But I do hope that this episode has given you a broad overview, has given you an insight on what's allowed, what's not allowed, and I hope continues to raise questions for you. If you are a person who is thinking about, you know, coming to Colorado, who's thinking about, you know, getting introduced to a facilitator in our referral network, or who's just thinking about, you know, trying to engage in services, you know, elsewhere, and, you know, your informed consent, your ability to make informed decisions, that's so, so, so important to us. And so that wraps up our episode for today. Thank you so, so much to our community of listeners. You can find the Psychedelic Passage podcast anywhere that you find your podcast, primarily on Apple Music and Spotify. And we really, really look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thanks. I am excited to share a new offering that can be found on our website, psychedelicpassage.com, which is our digital store. We here at Psychedelic Passage are constantly thinking about ways to enrich the intentional psychedelic process for our community. And now with this digital store, you'll be able to find preparation guides, integration guides, and recorded workshops that are typically only available to our clients. We hope that this is an exciting offering and we look forward to adding more content over time. So check out the link in the episode description below or visit our website, psychedelicpassage.com. And we are very excited to expand our service offerings to the greater community.